A reading from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather girdle around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. I just missed the bus. I was downtown. It was cold, way too cold for this time of year. It was late, late at night. I had just missed the bus, so that meant it was going to be a while until the next one came. I was waiting on that corner by that parking lot where they sell the Christmas trees every year, and this old guy, he was standing around by the trees, kind of stomping his feet to keep warm and kind of looking around maybe like for customers or something. I don't know. I mean, I don't mean to call him old. I don't know if he was an old guy. I mean, it was hard to tell. Anyway, he comes over to me and walks right up to me and he kind of tugs on my sleeve like to get my attention, which was completely unnecessary because he had had my attention since he was over there stomping by those trees. And my attention only intensified as he walked directly to me and tugged on my sleeve. I thought, perhaps before, that he had worked at the Christmas tree lot, but close up, it seemed unlikely. He tugged on my sleeve again. What? I said, a little bit annoyed. What? He said, hey. You want to start a revolution? I said, um, yeah. Good, good, he said. I can help. I'm glad you came to see me. I said, but I didn't. Here's what you got to do. First, this is what you need. Write this down. You need a look, a symbol. You need a designer. Do you got a designer? You need a printer. Do you know a printer that's sympathetic? Don't worry. I know one. You need a manifesto, short. Simple, explosive, action words, like demands and actions. You need to tell the power what you want. But it is really for the people, because the power doesn't listen to you, doesn't listen to you until you have them, until you hurt them. The power needs to be hurt 
physically maybe, or more likely hurt them financially, then they listen. And if they're still getting paid, see, if they're still getting paid, they will always be able to abide, to tolerate the physical pain. Yeah, hit them with the money. Yeah, the manifesto. You need to tell the power, really the people. You need to tell the power what you want. And then what you need to tell the people, what you, you need to tell them what they should think. And once you have that, you can tell them to do whatever you want them to do. You have to start out with a core. You know, other radicals like yourself are losers and outcasts, are either really, really smart people or really, really dumb people. Start there. So it looks like you're not alone, you know? Nobody, I don't care how righteous the cause is, is going to join if they think no one else thinks it's cool. 20 is a good number. 12 is okay. But 20 is better. You need to be able to fill the, fill the screen in a medium shot when the news cameras come down. Yet if they pull back to a wide shot, you look like a joke. But most people in television news, they don't want you to look like a joke. They want you to look like a threat. Dangerous, you know? So try to look dangerous. Why? Power, man. There is no power without threat. If people think you have something or can get something or take something of theirs, then you have power. And you need to protect, you need to project power. You need to be perceived, be perceived as power. Without perceived power, you can't get the people. If you can't get the people, you don't have now stinking revolution. <laughs> you see? Without the people, you have nothing. Revolution is public opinion. Because public opinion is... Come on, public opinion is, he said, power, I said. There you go, there you go. Now you can go out and get them. Now give your uncle a quarter. But I, you're not, I gave him a quarter. This is the second week of Advent. And for this liturgical year, we are in the Gospel of Mark. Now in the Gospel of Mark, we... There's no Christmas. In the Gospel of Mark, there is no Mary in the manger with Joseph, and there's no shepherds or wise men or angels or birth. There's no baby Jesus. We've got to do Advent, Christmas, the whole thing this year without the baby Jesus. There's no birth narrative in the Gospel of Mark. But the, what there is, crowds. There's a lot of crowds. The book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is a crowded book. Everywhere there's crowds. Crowds. It starts with crowds. Mark chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and people from the whole of the Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him to confess their sins and be baptized in the Jordan River. All the people from the whole country, it says, from the whole countryside and all the people from Jerusalem. That's a big crowd. This book starts out with a big crowd. Crowds everywhere. Chapter 1 and following is crowds. At once his fame began to spread Throughout the surrounding region, um, there, the whole city came out in the evening and were gathering around his door. That's a big crowd, too, the whole city. It says it right there in the book. And he was healing and 
curing them and casting out demons, a big crowd. And even in chapter 2, at his house, so many, such a big crowd of people came that they could no longer get in the door. They had to climb up on a roof. That's a big crowd. Chapter 3, a multitude from Galilee followed him. They came out to him in great numbers from Judea, Jerusalem, Edom, beyond the Jordan and the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Disciples had to put him on a boat and push him out so the crowd wouldn't crush him. That's a big crowd. He goes up to the mountain all alone, and he, comes, he came back to his home, and there's the crowd again. The crowd came after him. There were so many, it was a crush. He couldn't even eat at his own house. I'm not making this up. It's all right here. There's big crowds all over this book. Very large crowds. In the boat again, chapter 4, all the way through this, crowds. Chapter 5, large crowds everywhere. Chapter 6, crowds. So many people, such a big crowd. It's getting hard to deal with. So hard to deal with. So many people, they're hungry. Jesus has to feed them. What's he going to do? Crowds everywhere. Chapter 7, crowds. He's teaching them healing crowds. Chapter 8, it says Jesus had compassion on the crowd. He feeds them again. Big crowds. Later on, end of chapter 8, he calls the crowd together and with his disciples, and he teaches them. He teaches them, and this is what he tells them when he teaches them. He says, the Son of Man must go, undergo a great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. Jesus says, yes, yes, it is. Then Jesus turns to the crowd, big crowd, and said, not only must the Son of Man be killed, but any of you who want to be my followers must deny yourselves, pick up your cross, and follow me. Follow me. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. But any of you who lose their lives for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What profit is there if you gain the whole world and lose your life? Must go to Jerusalem, lose your life, follow me? Chapter 9, not a mention of the crowds, no crowds. Chapter 10, no crowds. Chapter 11, no crowd. Chapter 13, no crowd. Chapter 14, ah, the crowd finally comes back. Immediately, while he was speaking, came Judas, one of the twelve, and with him there was a crowd, a big crowd, with swords and clubs, and they took Jesus away. All of them deserted them, the disciples, the big crowds, all gone. All right, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're back. But I said I was just, look, okay, you've got that other stuff taken care of now? It's time to concentrate on your message here. You need a message. You need to get it out. It needs to be powerful. It needs to be simple. It needs to be something people want to hear. It ne you need to tell them what to think. You need to tell them something that they think they already know. It needs to sound like something they want. You have to give them something, a promise. You need a promise. You need to promise them something. And you have to ask them to join in and follow you. Short, simple, direct, reassuring. 
You can't just say it once and in one way. You have to, say, have to tell the people that what you want the people to do because when you have the people, you have what? Power, I said. Good, you remember. Yeah, once you have the people, you have to keep giving it to them. Giving it to them, giving it to them, or you lose them. The people, they got a short attention span. Yeah. You know, and you have to know this. You need a good message because there's a, and keep giving it to them because there's a lot of other messages out there. And there are a lot of other promises out there. And you have to know everybody wants the people. All the people with all their messages, they want the people. Public opinion. Because without public opinion, you don't have no stinking revolution. <laughs> Give your uncle another quarter. I, but you... I gave him another quarter. So I ask him, the crowds, the people, the message for the revolution. I say, what about Jesus? Well, you know the message. And getting the message out, I said to him, is that, you know, he seems like that, get the message out to the people, because Jesus had the people, right? They were there, the big crowds were there, and then he lost them. Was it a problem with his message, or was it a problem with getting it out there, or was there a better message? I mean, in the end, it seems like the message kind of gets lost. Like when he's on trial before the chief priests, it's, and he hardly he doesn't say anything. And when the chief priests ask him, hands him over to Pilate, he just says like three words. And you think maybe, you know, he's saving all that, whatever he has to say, his message for the crowds. So Pilate brings him before the crowds, and it's like he doesn't even know the people equal power. He doesn't know that people equal power, that public opinion is power. How can Jesus not know the revolution is about public relations? Pilate, sure, he knows. He's working with the crowds. He has the revolutionary Barabbas in jail who led this violent insurrection against Romans. And that Barabbas, he knows the power equals the people. But Pilate doesn't want him out there, so he tries to get the crowd on his side to crucify Barabbas. But, you know, those chief priests, well... They know that public opinion is power, too. So they're working the crowd, stirring them up, and the people call for freeing Barabbas. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't say anything. Not a word. He has the people, the crowds there. So in the middle of this power struggle and control and the crowds all calling for Barabbas, Jesus does not speak up. I mean, that would be the time to say all the stuff about the kingdom and the real revolution and everything like that. Does Jesus not get it? This guy looked at me. Jesus? <laughs> That's a lot of what? That's a lot of Jesus you're talking there. What makes you think I know anything about Jesus? And besides, like... <laughs> sounds like you think I actually know what I'm talking about. People don't usually listen to me this long. What do you think, I'm a genius? You think Jesus doesn't know what I know? Come on, I'm telling you all this for a quarter. 
It's not that valuable of information. It's not that hard of stuff to figure out. Really. I mean, come on. Just look around. Anybody knows this stuff. You can just look, figure it out just by looking around how the world works. I mean, what I'm telling you doesn't just work for revolutions, but it also works for corporations and hamburgers and governments and rock bands and wars. It works for everything. It's the way the world works. So Jesus knows how to get the crowds, I say, on his side, and he knows that if he doesn't say anything to the crowds, that they will call for his death, and that will all be supported by public opinion, and then they'll just kill him? Jesus knows that? Yep. Well, what about the beginning, I said, with all the, when all the crowds are coming out to the river, to, you know, and they're all there to baptize him? Seems like he knew about it there. Same thing, he says. What same thing? Just like in the end, he says. He didn't say anything to the crowds at the beginning, and he didn't say anything to crowds at the end. He looked at me now and then looked past me over my shoulder like I was keeping him from something. The crowds at the end weren't his. The crowds at the beginning weren't his. That was John's crowd. So, I say, so what? So what do you think? I think he doesn't say anything. It's not his crowd. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's what I said. It doesn't matter who got the crowd there, whether it was John the Baptist in the beginning or Pilate in the end. If he's got the crowd there, why doesn't he start talking revolution? Why doesn't he say anything? It's not that kind of revolution. The bus came. I got on. I pulled the change out of my pocket for the fare. I didn't have enough quarters. It's not that kind of revolution.